Welcome to the Blabian Power Hour with your hosts, Tiffer and Kim. Today we're going to jump right into something that I brought up. I wanted to talk about the Wagner it, uh, Uprising. Uprising. <laughs> rebellion is the word that was it. on the tip of my tongue. The rebellion that happened in Russia, because I've been really interested in the Russian Ukrainian war this entire time. And when he did that, I was like, oh my gosh, we've had a turning point. And I was like, Tiffer, we have to do this. I want to do this. And you're like, okay. And then it was like, fizzle. <laughs> Fizzled out. And I was so mad. But I wanted to talk. I know, they ruined our podcast. They ruined our podcast. They, they don't even care. <laughs> they don't even so care. So ridiculous. They're so selfish, which is actually true. <laughs> <laughs> but I kind of wanted to focus on that section of the world and specifically to talk about eventually or part of the Wagner group. So just to begin, the Wagner group is actually called the Wagner group because it's in Russian, but I'm going to call it the Wagner group because I don't think they like it. And (laughs) so there is a company. It is a company that operates in Russia. It is a gigantic, massive, enormous, very wealthy company um, that is kind of paid mercenaries, paid... Private military Private military. Contractors. And when I was going through, I couldn't find anything about this rebellion. I mean, I found basic information, but I couldn't find any, like, backstory. You know how there's a lot of backstory. There's only a little backstory. But then as I was about to go to bed... I found a documentary about the group that wasn't about the rebellion. It was just about the group. And I have a lot of information. I'm not sure when it's going to come out, but I highly recommend it to anyone who is interested. It is a Wall Street Journal documentary, and it was exceptionally well done. Just really, really good reporting and presentation. And I know that any kind of news that you come across, including from us, is can be biased sometimes, so you always have to oh, take that sure. in. But I thought they did. I thought they provided the information about the group that was really beneficial to know, including one of the basic parts is that they have fifty uh, something, I think, uh, shell corporations or or corporations that go out and do stuff and funnel money into the Wagner Group. And so when they talk about how they're funded. The way that they get their funding is absolutely sad and and cheaty. And Russia is really excited about this because when Russia says, oh, you know what? We've only had 20,000 casualties. Well, that's because 250,000 Wagner Group men have been casualties. And so, but they don't have to explain it. They don't have to say where the funding's coming from. They don't have to say all these things. And so they have this militia, this gigantic mercenary set of men um, whom they have gotten a lot of from the prisons. Oh, a lot of them A came, lot of them came straight from the prisons. In 2022, they went and kind of raided the Russian prisons and said, you know, if you sign up for us, you Six get months. out. And then you don't go back to prison mm-hmm. after you're, after you've served your time. Yep. And a lot of people were like, okay. And, and, but they are essentially putting them on the front lines to be cannon fodder. Like that is the point. And yeah. I don't know truly what is it like an optimal way to approach this. However, this does 
seem very sketchy. I mean, it's not like anyone, anyone who's going to be on the front line is essentially cannon fodder at this point for them. So I'm like, well, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Just stop the war. <laughs> it is fairly sketchy. But I mean, again, in, in the Iraq war, the U.S. paid private companies, mercenary yeah. companies to go in mm-hmm. and there's advantages to doing that because they get to bypass, you know, here's our army, here's the rules, here's the oh, laws, yeah. and you get to Tons bypass of bypass that. rules. And, and, and you don't have to, mm-hmm. you know, follow the same rules that are laid out, you know, when you're creating your army, you know, this is how you behave, this is how you do whatever. That These stuff the, gets to be bypassed. the rules that we have in our treaty, but you're a private company you don't need to follow these same rules. So the government has specific rules and these other people probably should and probably should be considered under the umbrella of the government, considering the government has, you know, employed them, but also that they are a company inside the country. And and honestly, I think if you go look at what the, you know, we'll we'll say, you know, the United Nations, you know, what the world thinks, Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure that they all just think these Wagner troops are Russian troops. and that They even, do. They only have though, like a patch or something that differentiates. Yeah. And, and, and the truth is, and, and I think Putin even, you know, says this, is their supplies, you know, come from Russia. They're getting paid by Russia. They're not. Well, they are. No. Well, according to Putin, they are. Oh, okay. So they part don't of it just might get be... paid by okay. Russia. I'm going to start just talking well, about this. Well, let's go into out. the start. So, <laughs> the creation of the Wagner Group. Um, yes, you have the two founders, and it's Dmitry Yudkin, who was called Wagner because that was his call sign when he was in the military. Chechen Wars. And then you have Yevgeny Prigozhin. And he is kind of the one that started the whole rebellion. He's the main guy now. I don't even know if the other guy is still around or involved it in does it, but say this that he's guy still is the but essentially this, leading yes. the group. He is the one that when you talk about the rebellion that happened, he's the one that kind of pumped that rebellion. So it turns out that he is Ukrainian by birth. So he's pro-Russian Ukrainian and and I, when I was researching all of this, I went back in into the, <laughs> I always think of it as like flipping through file folders yeah. for some reason in my brain. I went back far into my filing cabinet dates wise, which I always do because I always have to understand why these things happened. But there was a section, we're just going to talk, it's going to be all over the place. There's a section that happened in 2014, a section of Ukraine that said, hey, we don't want to be part of Ukraine. We want to be part of Russia. Well, let's talk about that in the first place, because that, to me, was kind of a big deal. So, okay, then then we're going all the way back. We're, we're starting all the way back then, because if you, I was trying to figure out the relationship that the two countries have in order yeah. to have a kind of situation where... In 2014, Russia comes in and annexes Crimea, and you're like, hey, like, why, what? And so I'm like, what kind of relationship did they have to make this be a thing? And it's because they have a very convoluted, tight-knit, overlapping relationship. They have a long history. A long history. So in the Soviet Union, they were together and they were So after the Soviet Union fell, Ukraine was now an independent country. 
but it was perceived as, and I quote, under Russians, quote, sphere of influence. Yeah, and uh, when they left the Soviet Union, it, the Soviet Union helped them basically set up their government. So right. like the 91 it or was, whatever. It's under the Iron Curtain, where yeah. they're separating and putting a buffer of, of, of leadership in between them and Western Europe. And you have this relationship where Russia is essentially always telling the leadership what they want and what to do and what decisions to make. So you end up, as time progresses, with a man. Oh, and by the way, did you know that Putin has been either the prime minister or the president of Russia since like 1990-something? I knew it was right around there. Yeah, I... He put some rules into place that basically till he dies, he can be there. Yeah. Assuming people vote for him, which (laughs) seems like... uh, They like him and hate him, but how in the world... Okay. Oh my gosh, I have so many things going on in my head right now. (laughs) (laughs) So, Russia and Ukraine both follow the same government style, where there's a prime minister who's in charge of, like, the legislative body... And then you have the president who is in charge of foreign affairs. Okay. So you have, that's why um, Putin's always been in power, but he hasn't always been the president and he hasn't because he'd been the prime minister for part of that. And so I, I hadn't realized, I knew he'd not been the president. Sometimes I didn't realize they were kind of dual in that way. But so is Ukraine and Ukraine in 24, like they have a prime minister Name Mikola Yanovich Azarov. Okay, and he gets in there in 2010. And he is on the international wanted list for abuse of power. And now he's in exile in Russia. Because in 2013, the country of Ukraine votes in their, I keep calling it parliament, but it's called something else. And they vote to join the European Union. But remember, you have Prime Minister Mikola Yanovich Arazov, but you have President Viktor Yanukovych, right? And Viktor decides he's not going to join the EU. So the government's already said, hey, we're joining the EU. And he's like, nope. And he vetoes they're joining the EU and instead joins the Eurasian Economic Union, which is what Russia is in. So that's the E-A-E-U or the E-E-U, okay? So in that, they have Armenia, Belarus, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Russia, and then they even have, like, observing countries like Cuba and Uzbekistan, and they have, like, a free trade agreement between each other's countries. They even have, um, like, free trade with China and Egypt and Moldova and Tajikistan, even though they are not technically part. They just have a free trade agreement with them. And Ukraine was part of this whole thing, and it got suspended in 2016 because of all of the kerfuffle. (laughs) Yeah, the kerfuffle stuff mostly happened in 2014, so. Yes, but in 2013, it began with a protest because of this. The country was really angry that they did not join the EU. They had wanted to, and the president said no and so they had something called the euro maidan maidan protest and so maidan is the name of the central square yeah in kiev 
which is the capital city. I think Maidan might, might just mean square in general, like public square. Well, they call it independent square, but there yeah. is another word. So you're right, it might just mean square. I think that's just what that word kind of means. But they call it Euromaidan because they're talking about the European Union at the time. Yeah. So they have these protests that are in November and December. And it is Les Miserables. Like, if you've ever seen that, and they put the blockades with everybody's yeah. furniture and stuff, they have, like, tons of of blockades, and they would use snow, and they're out protesting in the snow. <laughs> I'm like, you have to care if you're protesting in the snow. Like, it, and they have, um, and I, I also want to add in that a lot of these leadership people, including the guy in charge of the Wagner Group, are oligarchs. So it's not just Russian oligarchs, but there's yeah. a ton of Ukrainian oligarchs that made tons of money during the Soviet Union, and and they have tons of money. So um, anyway, there's a lot of violent dispersal by the police because they're ending up with like 100,000 protesters, and they're not prepared. So then they, of course, start freaking out, and everybody is violent, and everybody's mad. And Vladimir Putin is the president of Russia at this time. So he is telling the president of Ukraine what he wants to have happen at this time. So if that goes to show you just in this one event how much influence and power Russia has on Ukraine, and Ukraine is one of the most, um, it's not anymore, but it was at the time ranked one of the highest when it came to uh, corruption. Corruption. I was going to say treason. I'm all on it today. <laughs> so Azarov comes on, the prime minister, and he's like, hey, it, co- it will cost us 400,000 Ukrainian dollars to join the EU, but if we join this EU, EU, Russia's going to buy us by like $5 billion worth of like, oh, $15 billion in Euro bonds. So they made $15 billion to join the Russian side as opposed to paying. And he thought that this would make everyone be like, oh, yes, of course. Like, this is a great idea. Which is funny because it's really like, (laughs) I'm going to make $15 billion. <laughs> you don't want that for me? But in February of 2014, they have the Revolution of Dignity, which is just one of the protests that was, I mean, they had protests almost every Sunday plus on other days. and But this is the Revolution of Dig, uh, Dignity, and that, that's when they had 121 people die because um, it got violent. And then... The Ukrainian parliament on the, in 2014, February 22nd, 2014, the Ukrainian parliament voted to remove Yanukovych from office. And it was a 328 to zero vote. Yep. Now, there are 450 members. But so, they just yeah, like a bunch vote. abstained. But yes. the majority, nobody went against it and the majority was for it. And do you know what he did? He declared the vote illegal and asked for Russia to help. So here comes Russia. Now, Russia had already been infiltrating with the Wagner Group. These two, they call them, they're not states. Ob- ob- Oblasts. Oblasts. There we go. 
they have these two oblasts that are over on the Russian side of the country called Don Donetsk, Donetsk and Luhansk. Uh, Luhansk. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. And so you've got these two places and they, the pro-Russian separatists took over these two states after um, uh, Yanukovych asked for Russian help. Yeah, so Yanukovych get kicked out, gets kicked out, and like a pro-Western guy comes in, and then these two mm-hmm. regions kind of just say, "Well, then we're leaving. You but know, we're gonna we we're gonna form our own country." Later, is that the Wagner Group was supplying dozens? I mean, dozens well, of thousands. That was when the Wagner Group got created. It was. It was created was to help at out this time to secession send in people. Uh huh. And and. People were saying at the time, hey, they're sending Russians over like crazy. And they're like, no, we're not. Because they were sending over the Wagner Group people, which are the mercenaries. And they're trying to get everybody uprised. And they started murdering anybody that didn't agree with them. So if you were in a political office of some kind um, and you were pro the new president, gone. You just disappear one day. Like... (laughs) really gross um but it was here at this time that the new guy who comes in to ukraine arsni yatsen oh my gosh why do we keep talking about this area of the world (laughs) i'm the worst at names in 2014 in august he says hey we're gonna have ukraine join nato well this freaks out Putin because and he even says in his in his talks he's like uh absolutely not you will not do this and so that's when they sent more people into the oblasts that are over on the other side and Ukraine then has I mean is trying to fight to get them back and they still kind of did up until the new war kind of overtook this war they were kind of at war for the whole time. Oh, they time. were definitely at war. Right, but they weren't it, it always It was worse in, in the first couple of years. Yeah. Uh, but, it, but they were always mm-hmm. pretty much at war. And, and over that course of period of time, from 2014 to 2022, there were 14,000 people killed in those regions. Yeah, and they had so many ceasefires. Yeah. And there was one in particular that comes up later, so I want to touch on it, which is um, called the Minsk. Treaty, yeah. and they actually did two of them. Mm-hmm. They had they, Minsk one and Minsk two, and both of them were broken within a week by the Russians. Yeah, and which is funny, and I want you to remember that because I will be bringing that up when I talk about the Wagner stuff, <laughs> or actually when I talk about the 2022 when they go in in 2022. Oh my gosh, I have so much information. My brain is like, <laughs> it's like a waterfall just cascading down. I can't get it out fast enough. There's so much. I mean, I say this every time. I could just repeat this. There's so much stuff. It's just so hard to get to it all. But this was really hard for me to understand. And I really wanted to understand why this happened. See, and I have such a hard time because... It is hard to understand, and all the people talking about it, you, you feel like you can't believe any of them. Yes. You know, so like when Putin is saying, when, when he goes in in 2022, essentially what he's saying is, 
you know, we're going in to stop the, you know, denazification, demilitarization oh, yeah. is what but he's saying. But do you know what he said right before that? Literally, oh my gosh, I have a timeline. <laughs> you ready? So they call it the frozen conflict when they are just regular battling between those two oblasts and the Ukrainian military. Um, both sides agreed to end the war in 2019, but they didn't. In February 7th of 2019, Ukrainian parliament votes a majority, which is fairly split, but it's still a majority, to change the Ukrainian constitution in order to help Ukraine join NATO. Because at this point, they are referred to as a non-bloc country, which means they don't pledge any allegiance to any large country, which is stupid because they obviously have been to Russia. But they are now saying, nope, we now give approval that we can become a bloc country. Well, this makes this makes Putin mad. And so this happens on February 7th. Vladimir Zelensky becomes the president of Ukraine in May. Of 2019. Of 2019. And what's interesting with that is that he was kind of put in to to help with the, the, the conflict. He was supposed to be the center guy. Yeah, because he's from... not really pro-Russian, not really pro-European, yeah. but let's calm down and... Because he's from eastern Ukraine, which is where they're having their conflict. Because there are a lot of Russian people in eastern Ukraine, and they even speak Russian in a yeah. lot of the places. And, and that's another thing that comes up that, that Putin brings up a lot is, look, I got all these Russians over here. They're being told, you know, they can't speak Russian anymore. They're, you know, they're trying to wipe out our culture Who? and our history. Who? And then so go he's back saying, over the border and be in your own country. Well, to him, it was, you know. Yes, that's, that, the that's thing. where they lived. To him, they've, they've lived there forever. Who knows how long speaking Russian? Because remember, they yeah, were part of the Soviet, part of Union Soviet Union for you know who, and, and even before time. that, the Ukrainians and Russians are ethnically go back to the same people. Oh, they are very very close, and, and they're one from of what the I understand, their they languages said, are fairly close. Too. You know, like prior to the Mongol invasion, they were all kind of part of the same. The Mongols came and took over most of Russia, mm-hmm. and at that point, like some of the cultures started really being divided. Is I there be, started to become even different say cultures? That they have a divided culture. I think they're like it's really <laughs> it's the same. The same. But, uh, I, I'm sure there are differences, but they bring sure. up differences all, a lot. But, but so yeah. that happens, and and then so he's put in May. In June, in June, Ukraine joins NATO's Enhanced Opportunity Partner Interoperability Program. So they join the NATO program. In 2020. So in June of 2020, we've got the pandemic going, but what it it's a status that does not promise NATO ship NATO membership. It's just one of those partnership programs and they have many. But one thing they did do is (laughs) they start in June of 2021. They NATO forces work with Ukraine to practice drills in the Black Sea. And that freaks out Russia even more. So do you remember the whole thing we talked about, about the Black Sea and how you have the, the Turkey and yeah. how you have certain rules about getting in? And But if you build your fleet in the Black Sea, so there's a chance that NATO's like, heck yeah, we want access to the Black Sea. 
come on, Ukraine. But they'd actually said Ukraine couldn't come in so many times because it was so corrupt. corrupt. But they had been changing things and they are in talks right now with NATO. And NATO is saying, hey, we think that they have made enough changes that we should seriously consider them coming to NATO. And in November of 2021, the U.S. notices that there are troops coming to the Russian border with Ukraine. They've already noticed this, but they publicly tell everybody now. They say, hey, there's, there's troops coming. And Putin gets up and he says, if there is a presence of NATO in Ukraine, then there's a chance that long-range missiles could be capable of hitting Moscow. And he says, this is a red line issue. So he's saying, hey, this is a big deal. And he's yep. essentially threatening war at this point in November 2021. In December 7th, Biden says, hey, if you attack everybody, we will put we will put economic restrictions on you. And on the 17th of December, Putin requests straight to NATO that they don't allow and ever allow Ukraine into NATO. They say, hey, if you need to make it so Ukraine can never be part of NATO. Well, NATO does not officially respond until January 25th of 2022. And they say, and I quote, that they have, quote, firmly ruled out Moscow's core demand against further NATO expansion, end quote. So they're saying, hey, you can't tell us who can come in and who can't come in. <laughs> so on the 28th, which is three days later, Putin announces to his people that the West have ignored Russia's concerns and they are um, putting weapons at Russia's borders. In January of 2022, still, that's the same month, they put troops into Belarus. And that is important when we talk about the Wagner Group, if we get there because I can't stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> and on the 31st of January, the UN Security Council... And Russia is a member of the UN. They're not a member of NATO. Russia demanded that NATO, quote, remove forces and equipment from Eastern Europe and the Baltic states, end quote. Because at this time, NATO is like, holy cow, they're going to start a war. We need to make our presence in our NATO countries. So they're sending forces just a little bit to like Poland and Oh, my gosh. We have tons of bases in Germany. And... <laughs> Here's the, yeah. So they're saying, get them out and from Eastern Europe. and But this they're not really doing anything at this point because they're just kind of like watching to see what Russia will do. And then on February 16th, NATO commanders were instructed by NATO, by the NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg, which could also be Jens because I think it is. Um, on the 19th, they, Stoltenberg says, you know, I think Russia's intentions are bad. On the 20th, France and Germany say, it's time for you to get any French and German people. You need to leave Ukraine right now. And on the 21st, Russia announces that the two oblasts, oblasts of Donetsk, Donetsk, <laughs> Are independent countries. He puts troops inside them. And on February 22nd, he declares that the Minsk agreement is void. 
the one that he ruined. I was say, it was pretty much Multiple times. Ruined. 29 times they had failed ceasefires. And 14,000 people died. And they did a full-scale invasion in Ukraine. And when you go and look at what happened that first day, they are attacking from the south, from the north, from the east, overhead. They are just attacking so many areas at the same time. It really was a full-scale invasion. And I hadn't realized that. I thought it was kind of just coming oh, in from no. the east. I and and not that. only that, but, like, they expected it to be a three-day yeah. in and out. And we want, so the, the things that I read basically suggested that Putin just wanted to go into Kiev and change the government. Yes, You know, to go he in did. and, and do you know put who somebody pro-Russian in there. The Wagner Group. Uh, I think he sent the Wagner Group in on the eastern side. He Well, he did, but he sent the Wagner Group into an airport that was right... Oh, that was actually by Kiev, so that is yeah. on the northern side. So he, he paratroopers them in, right? They're they're dropping in like in the movies. <laughs> and they ha- they're at this airport, and they are taking over the airport because they want that airfield, because they want to get all their supplies in on that airfield. So they go to take it over, but the Ukrainian military just, like, is all of a sudden there. I don't know if they were like, oh, I think we better, like, keep our forces close to this. Oh, but... I don't think that's it. <laughs> do, you, do you think that they had I think they up? had uh, somebody who had maybe some better intelligence gathering <laughs> mechanisms was giving them some information. It's definitely likely because there have been a lot of overlapping things that have gone on with out the presence of troops which we've talked about before how once you add your own people's people your own nation's people then it becomes a violation of certain treaties but you can give yeah. money and supplies and probably intelligence but and that might be why they were sending some people over because i remember watching a documentary where they i mean a news story where the Ukrainian soldiers would go into Poland to train and then come back into Ukraine to continue training their soldiers. Um, And I think a lot of that, if if you go into Poland and train, they can't attack you. No, they can't. But it was really interesting because I hear a lot about how Russia's like, there are a lot of Russian people in that, in those two uh, I want to call them states. I'm so sorry. I can't get it. States is probably fine because roughly that's the equivalent. Oh, good. So into these it might two even states. be closer to like counties, really, because it's about the size of, of Texas. Mm-hmm. And these are there's like 31 of them, 33, something like that. So and they're big. That's why I was I thinking mean the, states is because right. But if you got countries. something the size of Texas and you break it into 31 pieces, yeah, you know, like those are relatively small, but. But you you hear a lot about how they voted and how people wanted to be part of Russia. Yeah. But they the the vote was actually thirty one percent wanting to separate from well, Ukraine. And I think that that might there there's a lot of it that I don't know how to take it. So in two thousand fourteen, yeah. and this is where I get into there, there's a part of me that worries we're not getting all the good information. So like in two thousand thirteen. Yes. We have two senators over in the Ukraine, John McCain and some other guy, that are giving speeches to these people saying, you know, go to, you know, Europe is the way to go. Don't go, you know, we're over there kind of meddling in there saying, you know, this is the yeah. the, the path you want to take. 
Do you imagine if two Ukrainians came and told us what to do? I know, like, in 2016, <laughs> we get all upset that Russia's paying advertising, you know, for, like, but we got, like, senators over there giving speeches. Yeah, in, in public. In public. Not even hidden. Not not the least bit hidden. And, and that's the sort of thing that makes me worry that there's a lot more just that we aren't being told. So in 2014, they kick the one guy out, bring the new guy in, and pretty much immediately Russia goes into Crimea. And they send their troops in in, like, March. Yeah. Like, that's pretty much immediately. And I've already told you, I think they did that so they could have access to those. Yeah military fleet that because i think but they had a vote in 2014 crimea did and 80 percent wanted to go with russia but is that because there's troops walking down the street oh yeah like oh how do you hear what the wagner group was willing to do to people that didn't like them keep in mind though i imagine it was very it is not just the wagner group it is not just the Wagner. there was a there's an organization called the osce what's that um, the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe, and it actually has, like, pretty much all of Europe is a member of this. And they're kind of, a, you know, a group, let's, you know, for, for peace, essentially. So they're, they go into Ukraine in 2014 to observe and to actually report on what's going on. Oh, interesting. So they've got people there, um, and, and it was requested by Ukraine, but they have a bunch of documents. Um, They've got one that I read. It is titled War Crimes of the Armed Forces and Security Forces of Ukraine. And it was in 2014. And they're doing the same thing that the Wagner Group is. Like, no way. They, they, their tactics are the same. And it's pretty no. brutal stuff. It is brutal stuff. Like, I went to bed last night and I just stared at the ceiling for a good long time because when you go into the details, which I didn't even much, <coughs> yeah, they're ugly and war is ugly and and, and I think it go gets, out of control. Yeah, particularly ugly in in the you know when you get into the smaller you know sort of area where there's not people you know telling them. You know, this is how, you know, like, you know, Geneva Convention, you don't do this. You don't, there's nobody. Yeah. They, it's just people who are, you know, we're going to do whatever, whatever it takes. And so, yeah, it, it's really interesting kind of reading some of that stuff and to see, like, they go and document, like, you know, like every ceasefire violation. You know, it, yeah. it's really amusing because. It's like a divorce. Oh. This. And, oh, and a lot that. of it is just, you know, somebody said this or we heard an explosion and yeah. stuff like that. But they uh, they basically there's artillery fire coming from the Ukrainian troops going into cities. You know, all the th- it is not just a one sided, you know, sort of thing. It is both sides. And if you go read any of the like Russian sites, they always pull look. You know, Ukrainians are bombing our citizens that live there. Which is true. Which is true. But the citizens, and, and it's again gets to the point is, is you've got this group of people that say, we want to make the decisions about our, you know, government. And in this case, you got the group of, you know, Russian people saying, hey, we want to go pro-Russian. 
And then a bunch of people, you know, that live a hundred miles away are like, nah, you don't get to the site. You know, you're, you're with us, you know, like it or not. And I'm pro that. I know that you don't see, and I have a very hard time with it because to me. And I think you can just move, like, just go. But where? 20 feet into the other country. (laughs) So, but, but anybody could say that, you know, so like essentially if California was like, okay, you guys have to live the way we want. We got 60 million people. What are you going to do? Well, and say, I think no. that's why like, I You feel don't get to tell way. me that. Like, why do you because get to say that? if you don't like it, you move out of California into a neighboring no, state. No, I'm saying not California can do that to anybody in a neighboring state. No, you are part of our country. We have the control. We have the most people in this country. So even though you live however many hundreds of miles away, you do what we say because we got the votes. And people will be like, no, that I don't want to live like that. Yeah. And so, but if the, you've got the votes and say, well, tough, what, you know, like, what do you do? You either just say, yep, they get to decide what I do and I don't have a say. Or you say, no, I'm sticking up and I'm saying, you don't get to tell me. I don't know. I do kind of wonder, though, like, and I, and I don't, I'm not saying that this is the only country who's ever done this, but I do think that they sent a lot of people in to make it. Oh, I'm sure. Because it kind of reminds me of like the Kansas, you know, Missouri yes, thing is, is that <laughs> the Missouri guys start, you know, crossing the line like, mm-hmm. okay, let's put our people in there. And, and they both want their own outcome. Yeah. And like you said, that was when the Wagner group, but the Wagner group, I mean, it was mostly just volunteers of who wants to come. And it started out with like a thousand people. And they didn't pay them all that much because they didn't oh, have I'm all that sure much money I'm not sure they got paid at much time. at all at the time. Because... What I found when I was when I was doing my research on them in in that Wall Street Journal piece that I thought was so good is that they go into countries like they went they were huge in Africa. So after a couple of years in you huge know, in, in fighting in Ukraine, what happens is they become the the fighting specialists. You know, mm-hmm. they know how to fight. They know how all, all this stuff works. They're organized. They know they've been fighting for you know two years. Well, that's a valuable service now. So they go into places and say, hey, you know, you're having, you know, issues here. We got, you know, you give us this much money, we will come in with 2,000 well-trained troops and we'll take control of the situation Mm -hmm. and then help you out. And all you do is you pay us whatever. It's not just pay. Oh, they went into, in the Middle East, they went into, I think it was, um, it might have been like Syria, where yes, it was, it was ISIS that was there, and oh, the, yeah. the government says, for every oil field you can kick ISIS out of, we'll give you a 25% ownership. 20, but that was a contract written up by Russia to say, hey, we'll help you if you sign this contract. And they give 25% of each one of the yep. the oil fields that, that they, they save, can kick ISIS proceeds out of. to the Wagner Group. The so Wagner within group, a few years, they're making tens of millions of dollars a year on each one of the four oil fields. That they and took and they also, in Africa, they end up with control over mines yep. and other things like that. Gold, they end up diamonds. with like offices in like Hong Kong and Argentina. Yep. They become like this worldwide organization. They huge. And they really start getting like revenues in like the billion dollar mm-hmm. ranges. And they start funneling money to themselves. To the, I mean, to the Wagner Group. So they have all of these, like, 
Now they well, it's have just the business. The, the business is now company. making billions of dollars. But they have all those those companies. So yeah, they're like or stakes in them or whatever. Well, they've created their own where they now own a mining company. They are a um a private military and they own a mining company. And then they go over here and they own a, a uh an oil field and they go over here and they own this and and I I have trouble with it. I am not sure what the more optimal solution is, but I have trouble with it because they are more massive than their own country's military. They, when, oh, so. Which, which isn't really true, but. No, it is. No, the Russian military has hundreds of thousands of armed. The Wagner Group, I think, got up to 50,000. No, the Wagner Group lost 200,000 people. I'm not sure that that's true. I'm not sure it's not. <laughs> I haven't heard anything that, that suggested that they've lost, two, you know, 250,000 uh, troops. I think that that was kind of the Russian, all Russian casualties was around 200,000 is what I had heard. Oh, is that what it is? So and even that, it does like those get a little sketchy are, like nobody is going to be honest about right. those numbers. Nobody's being honest. Ukraine wants the numbers higher. Well, Russia wants the numbers Ukraine, lower. Ukraine gets their numbers published, and they yell at anybody who publishes them. You know, somebody came oh, out really? the, in the, um, I don't know if it was NATO, European Union, um, one of the leaders came out, you know, Ukraine has suffered 100,000 yes. know, troop casualties, and Ukraine is like, no, don't, you don't tell people. I, that's why Cause Russia, because the they're the same you know? kind of thing. And, and that's why and Russia, Russia has the, the Wagner Group. Is you don't <laughs> you don't know because nobody wants to be no. honest about what's happening because they want to play the morale games yes. and they want to play these other things. So that you know, when you go and tell Ukrainians that you've lost you know hundreds of thousands of you know troops, morale might drop and you might have a hard time getting more. Yes. So they and really try it, and hide you know these numbers. And Russia does the same that, thing. Like, I think Russia officially is like, yeah, we lost 20,000 troops. Yes, but then Ukraine's like, nah, it was 100,000. Yeah. Like, so I don't, it's true. You can't I don't know really that know. anybody really knows the official numbers. Like, what I recall is that the U.S. had a an intelligence leak, and they had some papers that had the U.S. number, at or the Ukraine number at like 120,000, and the Russian one looked like the on the leaked version was doctored and it said something like 10 or 20,000 everybody's like that's a lie you know yeah. like that's not that's not true well they even particularly talk about one battle that was supposed to be really have been terrible yeah and russia already had gone in with their own army and just said yeah we need to get 300,000 more troops you know cuz they had they went in initially with they had like 190,000 troops on the border when they began the attack and after, I can't remember how many months, you know, six or seven months, they're like, all right, we need 300,000 more troops. Well, that's why they kept getting desperate and getting people from the prisons. Because they have a video of the Prigozhin guy who's like, hey, he's standing in a prison and he's giving that talk. Saying, yeah. You know, come fight for us. Like, because they were running out of people and they needed to replenish their troops. And I, I, he seems uh, very much so, so. Looking at some of what he said, like later, he has 
what he thinks is like the world's best army in his Wagner group. But he doesn't want his army getting destroyed. So he goes in to get those recruits that he doesn't care about to go take the, you know, be the bullet sponge while his guys uh, do, you know, the more tactical fighting or whatever. Well, he's an oligarch now. And so, so he started out a criminal. (laughs) He started out a hot dog vendor. Well, did he he start a a hot dog vendor? And so after the fall of uh, the Soviet Union, he became like a hot dog vendor and was just realizing, you know, like this is just a corrupt system. You can't make it, you know, like everything is, you know, built for these corrupt people. So then he started getting into the, you know, corruption and whatever. But I don't think he got big until the Wagner group. You know, well, sort of thing, but in '79, he did catering for Putin. Oh, so he was, that's one his, of the groups. His uh, that's one nickname of the is way... Putin's chef. Okay, okay. So in 1981, he commits robbery for, and fraud involving teenagers, and he was put in prison for 12 years. So he was in prison for 12. Yeah. Years. So then he got out after the fall mm-hmm. of Soviet Union, and after, and then he starts in 2014 this this group, right? One of the things, and there is video of this man when President Bush is visiting Putin. President Bush is eating at this table with Putin, and this guy is helping pass out food because he's um, he is the caterer. Yeah. But if you look in the books, what you see is that every time the government needs more armed forces, the catering expenses go up. It is money laundering. They are money laundering with this guy because now this guy has this uh, defense group. <laughs> and they're like, for some reason, every kind of food option when they, in 2014, 2013, everything starts getting really, 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 really expensive. So they have these catered meals. This guy, Prigozhin's company, is catering these meals, but the money, additional money, is being shelled over to shuttled over to the Wagner group and so the government is indeed paying for this but they are not paying for it openly they are paying for it sneakily and I think there's some of both though there probably so is some one of the both. things there was a quote from Putin where he's talking about um, paying you know this is after the the Wagner group mar- marched on you know Moscow sort of thing he said you know like we gave them you know billions of dollars uh, to to fight, you know, mm-hmm. we're paying them. We gave them billions of dollars for food and supplies, uh, which then, you know, he says, which hopefully, you know, wasn't just stolen. And then he just says, or more specifically, maybe just a little bit was stolen. So, like, I think he's just indicating, like, he knows <laughs> there's some level of, you know, corruption. But, like, yeah, he's saying, yeah, we paid them, you know, for food knowing that some of that was going to be stolen like the well this Prigozhin guy is also um, put on an international watch list and a United States watch list for conspiracy to defraud the United States in elections so he was one of the people who was accused of being part of the election issues that were so threatened back in the Trump and Biden days 
that was him. He was one of those. But um, he, he had always pretended that he wasn't part of the Wagner group. He set it up under a thing, and it wasn't until um, later. that he, So they all had it under Dmitry Yudkin, who was Wagner. The other, yeah. And, and everything was under him, everything was under him, and then it isn't until later that they realize it's Prigozhin. And Prigozhin's like, yeah, it was me. I own it. <laughs> and... So I want to talk about the rebellion, and then if we have time, I want to talk about a little bit about like hypotheses, and stuff, okay? Because that's fun to talk about. But and the rebellion was stupid, but I have a tin hat conspiracy about it. So I'm going to give you a few of the details, and then I'm going to jump into the crazy. Part. All right, because <laughs> it's so easy to do. So, um, it is June 11th. And there is a Russian defense minister named Sergei Shigu. Shigu? I don't even know how to pronounce that. I don't know how to pronounce that. Um, But he starts saying that all of the volunteer fighters, which is what they call the people who are part of the Wagner group, it's because they they volunteer themselves to get paid to fight, um, they need to sign a contract with the defense, the Ministry of Defense. And Wagner's like, nope, we're not going to do that. And he had been upset, and I have seen the video where he started recently getting on social media for some reason and complaining about the Russian leadership and the yeah. military. Oh, my gosh. The tinfoil hat wants to come out right now, but I'm going to wait a second. <laughs> well, so he gets on there, and he's making a lot of complaints, and he's saying, look, you guys have us doing some of the biggest fighting in the worst areas we're in Bakhmut and other places and we're getting killed we're asking you for ammunition you're not sending us anything you're not sending us the ammunition we're asking for you're not sending us the supplies we're asking for and so he has this huge problem with two specific leaders yeah. of the Ministry of Defense and it's not at Putin and this it's is not where I get my tinfoil hat because I don't know a single person who's angry at leadership that doesn't also blame, you know, the main political leader. Like, it tends to be what we do. And well, I, I think it's all tactical. Is that he, Like, he doesn't care any, you know, one way or the other about Putin. He wants a change in the military leadership. But, and it's true. So he's, he's not going to badmouth Putin because he thinks Putin's going to help him get rid of these guys is what he's thinking. I know. Okay. Let, let me give a few more facts okay. and then we will discuss this because I have lots to say too. So on June 23rd, uh, Prigozhin, who is the leader of this rebellion, says that his troops were shelled by the Russian Ministry of Defense. And he says it killed 2,000 of them. And he also said that it was because his troops didn't have supplies and they were starving. So <laughs> pick one. Right? Because he said it in two different places, two different things. So then he vows revenge and declares mutiny against the Russian leadership. And he's in Ukraine and he separates his troops in the borders of Russia. One a bit goes south and they have this city there and um, they go and it's called Rostov-on-Don and they go in with all their tanks and all the people there are like, yay. Like they're really happy. They're there. And people are starting to come out and be like, 
because he's a, he's saying he hates, you know, the Russian leadership and he's really mad. And this is, you know, he's he's they're all really proud of him. So then he goes up and sits himself in a bunker and sends his troops towards Moscow, which is 680 miles away. He sends he sends them up and they go through all of the little towns on the way and people are really happy for some reason that he's there, which I'm sure Putin is loving that everybody is happy about this rebel, right? So he's declared that he doesn't like the government. He's he's even said the words Get out of my way if you don't want to die. I'm only going after the leadership. If you're military, get out of the way. If you're a civilian, get out of the way. I'm going to kill these particular people. But he doesn't refer to them by name. He just, I mean, he does sometimes, but not in this speech. I I don't think he does there, but previously Mm -hmm. I think he kind of bad-mouthed these particular people. He uses their names all the time. (laughs) So they leave Rostov von Don at ten at eleven p.m. Right, people are cheering. Um, the Russian Federal Security Service raids the Wagner office in Saint Petersburg and takes forty-seven million dollars in cash. Cash, okay. This is where I'm like, why the fart is there forty-seven million dollars in cash in this digital age? So that is where I was like. Because they want to be able to run and hide. Maybe. And cash is the easiest way to do it. It also is very visual when you're taking out of a company. And you're like, look at this. We are. Look what we're doing. You know, you can't just be like, click. Look at that. I took their $47 million. (laughs) But but conversely, like anything digital for the tinfoil hat minded uh you might not get. You can that put it in a true. bank and then you go and say, I would like to get my money out. And they go, nah. Well, then, Prigozhin, and this is this is the next day. This whole thing lasted about 24 hours. The next day, he gets in talks with the Belarusian president, Lukashenko. And he says, oh, I watched the press conference. <laughs> Poor Lukashenko. He's so proud of this. And I think they played him like a fiddle. But he's up there and he's like, I talked him out of attacking Moscow, you know, and he's like, I did it. It was me. And he's like, and I allowed him to exile in Belarus and I'm giving him this military base that is unmanned. (laughs) And I'm like, what? (laughs) So I'm just going to jump on my tinfoil hat and tell you what I think. Okay. Because... I think this is the plan. I think here he is. He's a Ukrainian, uh, you know, born man who has been clobbering and slaughtering Ukrainian people. I think they realize this war isn't quite going the way that they wanted. And I think he did this to save himself, to be like, oh, but I already went against Putin. So you don't need to war crimes me. You know, I think. (laughs) I think he, this is my tinfoil hat. I think he, so I think he said, I'm really mad at the government. And I am jumping to conclusions all over the place. But I watched the YouTube video that he sent where he shows the dead bodies on the ground. And I'm sorry. That looked about as junior high production as I could possibly that, That's imagine. what everybody was saying. Like, 
okay, so you, what you're saying is they bombed you. There's no indentations on the ground. No. There's, no, there's like a fire. There was a, yeah. They're, and they're laying next to each other. It's not like they're hunkered over. And unfortunately, or I've like seen a leg. some other yeah. pictures. In, in If you watch the Wall Street Journal one, you'll see some, some pictures that are unpleasant. But it's like, and their blood that is on them is smeared. And it's it's like, I, I don't know if you've yeah. ever seen an injury, but that's not what happens. I mean, it, it was like, I didn't believe it. I feel like they're like, and hold your breath. Okay. <laughs> I'm surprised we didn't hear a collective <sighs> after because they have no proof of this. Yeah. There's, they're like, okay, where are these guys? We buried them. Well, who are these guys? They're my soldiers. Like, he can't provide any information that this actually happened. But if you think Putin is in on this and Putin likes Wagner and they're friends, then it makes more sense when he says, I, he says to Putin or to the Belarusian president, and he's like, I'll come to Belarus if you promise to drop all charges for me and all of the people who are in my employ. And Putin is like, okay. And I'm like, <laughs> which is kind yeah. of funny because he had basically accused them of treason yep. and that they were all going to be charged with treason. And do you know what happens to people who are treasonous in Russia? Uh, they end up getting some uh, I plutonium if Wagner's tea. the one that like, Takes them all down. Maybe he's that's that right. nobody. <laughs> that guy knows what's happening. Like, <laughs> I think it's a, a. I think he's in his sixties. I think that the war's not going the way he wants. I think he just wants an out, and so I think that he's just giving himself one. So here's that's the, my, the theory that I had read that that I kind of agree with is that uh, he was getting, you know, he was doing really well with his Wagner Group worldwide, billions of dollars. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, you know, the Russian Ministry of Defense says we're taking all your guys, mm-hmm. and he's, you know, that that's his billions dollars. You know, they do that, and he doesn't have his, you know, money stream, so he goes to go make a stand, thinking he can basically bluff them out to, okay, we'll let you stay, but the problem is, all his supplies, all his gas, all his ammo, all, it all provided by the Russian government. So as he starts going up towards Moscow, the Moscow starts putting artillery up. They basically take excavators and knock out the road, and they're getting ready for a stand, and he realizes he doesn't have the supplies for a stand. He can't, you know, have this, you know, week-long fight. They did take fight. $47 million. So... He knows that you know he's not going to have the fuel. He's not going to have the ammo to have any sort of prolonged fight because he gets it from the people that he would be fighting against. So he decides, you know, I need a way out. Calls up Lukashenko. They come up with a deal that says, and and I'm pretty sure Putin was involved in this because what I think is Putin is just trying to play damage control. Is that he knows? Well, it does make him look. Stupid. It does, but but imagine, so if he kills Prigozhin and, you know, starts attacking Prigozhin's troops, that's going to be terrible morale just in general. So he doesn't want to really do that, 
but he can't let Prigozhin in. So they work together to just say, yeah, we'll let you out. We'll let you keep your, you know, whatever troops of yours want to go with you and essentially be exiled. And But that is what I think they wanted everyone to think. So, and, and I think that it happened, A, too fast. And because if there's a man like Prigozhin who is in charge of military stuff, then he's got people who are more capable of making these decisions and know this stuff. You don't launch well, an attack on Moscow out of nowhere. The people who know the stuff are the ones that he's criticizing. They're the ones at the Ministry of Defense and whatever. Who, like they're the ones the way, giving him the supplies. Haven't been seen since this happened. And, and that—that's one of the things that mm-hmm. people are saying. Like he might end up changing, you know, this, you know. But, Which, but if you're the president, good gad, just change out the military tops. Like, I, because I still am a believer that he, Prigozhin, and Putin are on the same side. They've been friends forever. And and I don't know if Putin's friends with, you know, the Shoigu guy and the. Could you imagine that he's like, I don't want to fire them. They're my buddies. Let's make this big charade. Well, (laughs) I don't know that it's that either. Because one of the things that I'm never sure is. Who really, you know, who is the military loyal to? If the military is loyal to Putin, he can do whatever he wants. If the military is loyal to the Ministry of Defense, Putin can't just turn on the Ministry of Defense without potentially losing the military. So if he goes and says, all right, Shoigu, you're out, and Shoigu says, well, I got 300,000 troops that say otherwise, what's Putin going to do? Yeah, in in Russia, I mean in Ukraine, who was like, uh, this vote doesn't count. Yeah, Russia, come help me. So you know, like if you don't have the army on your side, so it it really kind of depends on where the loyalty of the army lies, which I don't know where it lies. I don't know. It's true. If I don't. They think would be they... loyal to Putin, or if they would be loyal to the Minister of Defense. There have been a ton of people who have been running off. From the Russian army, and mostly kind of in the first, like, it, like after four months of the war, that they're, because they didn't tell them what they were doing. They yeah. didn't tell well, them the real reason they were there. They didn't tell them the real reason, and, and a lot of it is because they didn't expect it to be yep. anything. Like, they, they thought it would be a change of power. Yeah, they thought this was going to be a three-day thing, and that the tanks were going to roll into Kiev and... They change the government in three days, and it doesn't matter. The guy in the back, yeah. you know, it'll be over before he needs to do anything, and that just isn't, you know, what happened. And that's why they had such loss after those first four months is because people start questioning and start noticing and start yeah. thinking. And... and and then I think Russia kind of changed, and they started. And what I really think that they've done is they have switched and gone from offensive mode to defensive is, all right, we've taken control of these, they've taken control of four oblasts, and I think they've just pulled back and said, let's just hold these, and we'll let the Ukrainians, you know, we we ran into their artillery and died, let's let them run into ours and die, and we'll just hold this until they get tired. The dam, the burst dam. The burst dam. The burst dam, do you know of this dam? I do know of that. What do you think happened? I I don't know. So <laughs> So here's you have Ukraine on the other side of the river, 
you have Russian forces on the other side of the river. And then there is this dam. And at the dam, they have an electrical plant that needs the backed up reservoir in order to keep its nuclear power cool. Right? Yeah. And then as you go down, um, you have a, a dam. I think it also has like a power capability, like a water hydroelectric kind of thing going on. And and I don't know. <laughs> so here's some stuff to consider. Let's first give a little background. Okay. So what happens is you've got these two sides facing off and there's this dam in between. And then one day the dam obviously was blown up because they have seismic yeah. information that says it was blown up. And then the entire reservoir that is there starts leaching out and flooding the people down below which are on both sides of whatever is considered the territory because it is kind of almost wetlands. It's like river basin area. And so it's just filling up in these entire towns, one of which they said was um, Ukrainian held and Russia was mad about it. And that is the biggest town that flooded. So that's also something to consider. But, yeah, it so it ruined their drinking water too. It ruined their drinking water. It also ruined the the Crimea gets most of their drinking water from that mm. area. Uh, it also flooded a lot of the area where uh, where the Russian uh, troops were. Was it? And and so so it, it Zelensky came Ukrainian out and was side. like, "It's definitely <laughs> you know the Russians." And the Russians are like, "Why? Why would we?" ruin our supply for Crimea which we hold and why would we and I really think it... oh, Ukraine couldn't give a good example as to why but Russia couldn't give an example as to why Ukraine would do it neither of them gave a really great example of why the other one would have done that but it is blown up on the Ukrainian side and the Ukrainians held it before so in theory they could have put bombs on it for a long time then the Russians came in and took control and after the Russians took control because that was one of the excuses they're like well it was in Russian control yeah and I'm like yeah like we haven't watched a million movies where someone like swims underneath with their little explosive oh (laughs) speaking of which the the Nord Stream pipeline oh yeah that one uh, that one like I am so that's another one that Seymour Hirsch the reporter is like yeah, the U.S. Seems American. The U.S. did that, and he talked. And you the know, He says he's got a source. What do you source. think about the bridge? The bridge? I, from what I've heard, it was like the U.K. So there is a bridge to Crimea, and what is from interesting. From Russia to Crimea. Right. There is a, um, somebody, I can't remember who it was, someone up high in power had said the words, um, if somebody could get the bridge... And if they they would, if someone had the guts to get the bridge, this would like essentially help end the war. And and then the bridge, a couple weeks later, gets exploded. And it doesn't really get blown <laughs> all the way up, and I'm pretty sure it's repaired by now. Yeah, it was just a small section. And when it happened with a hurricane in Florida, it was fixed in two days. So it's not like it was probably that. Big of a setback. 
no. But I do think it was one of those things, you know, every time those sort of things happen, all I think that is that the, you know, the, the Russian side is just going to go, all right, you know, for sure we're not going to, you know, we're not going to give an inch. Um, but I really don't know with, like, some of the stuff, like the dam. Uh, there's been yeah. a bunch of attacks on, like, civilian infrastructure. Oh, yeah. There was another Tons. weird one with, like, a nuclear power plant in the, I'm not even. Sure so they that. have Chernobyl. Are you speaking about? They've done. No. There's another one after Chernobyl that they kind of attacked. But, yeah. And they lit which is on an fire, interesting one because it, it wasn't. They sent the in the uh, um, the atomic energy. Uh, I don't remember what agency. I think yeah. is what it's called. And I watched video on that, like, because this was like six months ago or something when they went in. And the atomic energy agency, when they got done thanked the Russians for uh, providing them safe passage. And I thought that was like the weirdest thing. <laughs> but one of, one of the things they were saying is it, there's a lot of what they call, you know, the false flags where what they're both sides essentially try and do is make the other one look at the atrocity. Well, that's what I felt like was happening with the Chernobyl. So at the very beginning of the 2022 invasion, Russia takes over Chernobyl, which is in Ukraine. And they call it the Battle of Chernobyl. I remember watching it on the news and being like, what are you thinking? Um, And they say it resulted in a 20-fold increase in radiation levels because the soils were disrupted. And then they said that um, there were Russian soldiers who dug trenches and then got super sick and ended up having to go to Belarus. And I'm like, I don't believe you. Like, I don't believe you. Who doesn't know about Chernobyl in America? Who doesn't know about Chernobyl in Russia? Like they know, they know they, and they're just, I, in my mind, I'm like, I feel like you're just trying to make them look stupid, which is what I think we get a lot of because we're West we're in the West. And so I think we get a lot of Russia's really stupid. Russia's really this, look how dumb they are. And I think Russia gets a lot of Ukraine is really stupid. America's really stupid. Look how dumb they are. And I, though I do have to be honest, I think Russia's dumber. <laughs> See, and I think that oh, this was, they stupid. have like some amazingly, you know, smart people in Russia. They, they, Somewhere. Uh, I mean, I mean, honestly, like, you know, in the space race sort of thing, they started out ahead. They had really yeah. good scientists. I think one of the things that Russia always had a problem with, there's a, it's not even a joke. There's an old thing that I remember, it was related to the space race, and they, the United States said, oh, you know, like, we need a pen that can write in space. Yeah. And so they spent, you know, million something dollars coming up with the pen that has the vacuum that pulls the ink and whatever. And Russia's like, pencil. Oh yeah. And, and you know, like that, that to me I was kind of the mentality that. is that Russia is like, we have something that works. We don't need to make it better. So once they yeah. got something, they kind of stopped. Whereas America in the space race, they started out way behind. Their rockets were smaller. Their satellites were smaller. They did less, but they just kept, you know, 
improving, whereas once Russia did it, Russia was kind of like, yeah, we did it. Well, I can see that mentality here because Putin is very stuck on the Soviet connection. And he's probably like, it was good. It was how it should be. We should go back to that instead of, you know, what can I make Russia now? And that's one of the reasons I think he's stupid is when, you know, he's looking at them saying, hey, NATO's going to come in and they're going to be close to hitting us, which, by the way, you know, Russia's had intercontinental capacity for decades, almost near near half as more than half a century. Like so the U.S. has it as well. Like uh it's not like we couldn't. And that's but why it, we have our missile silos in, yeah. in the northern Montana part of, because they can, from our missile silos, we can hit. go over the North Pole and hit Moscow. So he's saying, hey, I don't want you here. I don't want you here. I don't want you here. But he's playing the wrong fight. He's still fighting 1970s style, 1980s style. He's not realizing that the world has shifted and not everyone does use a pencil anymore. Now we don't even use pens. We use computers. And and I don't mean that in a literal sense. I'm just saying he seems so disconnected because he's not playing the game. If you had a game where all of your neighbors hated you and they start like weaponizing and literal neighbors are putting in weapons that could hit your house, you got to change the game plan. You can't all of a sudden be the one that's like, I'm going to blow up your house then. Then I'm going to blow up your house. Then I'm going to blow up your house. Because you can't fight that kind of logic because they're saying, you're threatening me that you'll blow up my house. And I'm protecting me already from that threat by threatening to blow up your house. So, I mean, you're you're at more of a standoff than he's admitting. See, and I kind of wonder that too. But one of the things that I wonder about is... Uh, what I always thought is like like people, you know, well, what's this point of going into Ukraine? You go in and conquer people, they're not going to be happy. They're no. not going to be like, oh, I love. But at the same time, I think, well, what if you're playing you... the long game, you go in, they can be unhappy for what? However many years? The Generation. North, you know, in the Civil War, the North goes, takes over the South, and then they put troops there for 10 years. Then they yeah. pull them out, and the South is fine. And I think that's the goal, is you go in, you take it by force, you hold it by force. Ten years later, everybody kind of forgets. You walk, you know, go to the next guy or whatever. It's the same thing, you know. I, I don't even know that, that they care. You go to the Soviet style, Poland, Hungary, they didn't want to be part of the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union is like, so? You are part, you know. Like, what are you going to do about it? And I honestly think that's his mentality is, yes. yeah, just take it over. What are they going to do about it? Well, you know, I think... America has a mentality of let's save them, let's help them, let's save them, and and this Russian mentality is not the same mentality. Oh, They're I don't think it's a save anybody. anything. I think it's a they are this will be good themselves. for Russia yeah. if we do this. Mother Russia. <laughs> and, and I think what their argument is is that the U.S. really isn't any different. That the U.S. Is, you know isn't going over there because they you know love Ukrainian people. The U.S. No. wants, you, you know, the Ukraine for tactical reasons. They do want Ukraine for tactical reasons, but they also don't need Ukraine for tactical reasons because they have Poland on their side, which is farther away, but not really all that much farther away when it comes to technology. There are three 
yeah. countries that touch Belarus that are NATO countries. And Russia just put tons of nuclear warheads in Belarus, Belarus yeah. in March. And so it's like, whoa, like who's amping this up? Who's being mad? It's him. And he doesn't really have, I mean, I guess you're surrounded by yes men, I suppose. Because he does have the EEU. Well, so I imagine he feels there are like he's got support. People who say Putin is one of the more level headed crazy people. People in Russia. That if he falls Yes. I've that watched there that are very people same that thing. could come in that are mm-hmm. literally like you know, like are why like, aren't we nuking? Why are we not <laughs> you know, why have we not already yes. invaded Poland? Why have we not done this? And Prigozhin is one of them saying you know, he's saying if he was in charge, you, yeah, he'd already he have asked, Ukraine. He asked if Putin would put him into yeah. one of those positions. And and he and one of the things he said after his march on Moscow thing is that's how you do it. You know, if you wanted to take Kiev, put me in charge. Of, took me a day to get to Moscow. He was in charge. But I don't think they gave him the tanks at the time. But uh, no, because they paired troopered in. But. You know, and, and it's all just bravado. Like there's, not there's nothing legit to it. He's it was just probably saying another this. leader. Is he saying, "Oh, I could have done it"? You know, I do yeah. Kind of when wonder... you're marching to Moscow, there's nobody in your way. Like yeah. nobody's stopping you till you get to Moscow, well, where you stopped in... and turned around. <laughs> you, you know, the first people you ran across, you stopped and turned around. Well, I changed my mind. Yeah. Thank you for. Letting me move to Belarus and not having a criminal punishment. Uh, which is what I wanted to do but, anyway. But Belarus is best friends with Russia. That's yeah. another reason why I have my tinfoil hat idea. It would be like, you know, Canada saying, I mean, we don't even love Canada as much as Russia loves Belarus and saying, you can get exile here in Canada. And it's like, I know you're a different country, but well, if you wanted, of, you'd be you like, know. peace out, go, go over in, in the tinfoil hat area, you got the people who are saying, you know, it's all it was all a ruse because Prigozhin was, has been their best, you know, fighter yes. or his troops have. His troops now have. he's got, you know, now he's in Belarus, which is, you know, Kiev is not very far out of Belarus, so they could right. be getting ready to make push, and they're well, just the moving him base, over there in a way that the West would be like, oh, it, you know, oh, they he's were not, already there though. That's why I don't believe. Well, that. he wasn't there. Yeah, they're they're Wagner troops. He's down, all of them have been in the south, well, all their troops. They don't have anybody up in, really, Belarus right now. Oh, so you mean, like, the people who are watching on satellite? Right. They're like, why is all these Yeah, like, why did all of a sudden all these people move into Belarus? Yes, People I would be see. like, that's kind of fishy, unless you come up with a ruse, and yes. they're like, oh, that explains it. And I cannot tell you how rusey it felt. Because, first off, first off, where is this guy? Like, he's admitting that he, in, in like, 2020 or something, some late time, he's like, oh, yeah, I am part of the Wagner group. And then there's no information of him before, which means he's not participated in any of the tactical part of things. He's not, he's been in prison, but he's been running these multiple types of businesses and things like that until this point. He's not been a front man. Yeah. And now all of a sudden... He's on social media like crazy. And I'm like, no, no, no. This screams fake to me so loud. And it almost makes me in this is this is just how stuck I am on my own opinion of my <laughs> thoughts. I'm I'm almost sad for all the people who are believing this because I don't believe any of this. See, and I believe what I honestly think is 
Um, he was kind of a gangster thug guy who yep. isn't really a tactical guy, no. doesn't know anything really about logistics. Mm-hmm. Everywhere he's gone, all he has to do is say, you know, give me this stuff, and he gets the stuff. So when he goes into a Russian country, he goes to the people who pay him, and he says, I need this, I need this, I need this, and they just give it to him. He doesn't know anything about logistics, which is really, I, I was trying to find this quote about logistics, and I'm the sorry. quote was something along the lines of, you know, war is just a logistics fight with some, you know, shooting occasionally. It, yeah. the, the way that you win is is logistics. Tactic, you know, it, yeah. it's bringing, you know, getting your ammunition and your fuel and your food and your troops and moving them which around. Which they did terribly in the beginning. <laughs> yeah, which they did terribly because I honestly thought, think that they thought they were just going to waltz in because one of the things I read is they only had three days worth of fuel. Yep. And so they went, when they went in, they just thought, they what thought do you need more fall. than three days for? Mm-hmm. We'll be done. But I don't think Prigozhin ever had to worry about any of that. Nope. He's just the... Um, I think here's he's the just quote a from the. Uh, he's the he's the business guy. He's the business guy. Mm-hmm. So th- that Seymour Hersh guy who's interviewing, you know, somebody from uh, the U.S. intelligence agency. This is the U.S. intelligence guy's quote, and he says, uh, "He is, after all, no matter how cunning financially, an ex hot dog cart owner with no political or military accomplishments." Mm-hmm. There was the Supreme Allied Commander of the of Europe, her Sir Sir Richard Sharif, and he said that Wagner, or more specifically Prigozhin, is a glimpse of the gangster leaders. Yeah, and it's almost like they are gigantic mafia bosses that that can do whatever and expect whatever to be done, and he's like. It, I, he's like, if we're not cautious about this, this situation with Russia, you will see these really rich people gather up their private armies to get whatever they want. And he's like, and that country has 6,000 nuclear warheads. He's like, we are looking at a very cautious time. And he says that he's not optimistic that Europe will be secure as long as the border countries of Russia are not part of NATO. So he really, really wants them to. But what do you think? What do you think is best? Here you go, Tiffer. Solve the world's problems for the stability of that region. Because in my mind, Russia is not advancing in the ways that Western Europe is advancing. In in terms of... um, Uh, standard of living, um, access to education. And these might be some things that I just don't really understand. But whenever you see, you know, anything from Russia, yeah, it's not advanced in any way, even though I do think they have. They have. And typically the, what I've somewhere. seen about Russia is that they have some very advanced centers, you know, like Moscow is a very, but, it has very modern. But I think the haves and the have-nots in are different. In, are in regards to information are drastically different. Is I, what I think. I believe that, mm-hmm. and and I don't know. You know, one of the problems that you always have is all right. So what business of of that is ours? You know, like, 
But I mean, what do you think would be the best option to make this region stable considering you're having two totally different types of living? And uh, bomb Russia and Ukraine till they don't exist and then you won't have any problems. What about Belarus? Scott, them so too. <laughs> but but th- that's the thing. Unless you're willing to do that, you're going to have problems. Yeah. So unless you're willing to, to, to step up and do something that then puts you in a position where your moral authority is gone, so you either admit, you know, say, yeah, Russia is its own country. It gets to do what it wants. And, and I think that it should. And, and so you say that, and then you say, but you can't cross into. Right. That's where I draw my line. But, but at what point do you say, you know, like, what's the U.S. response to, to that? You know, like, we, we go in, in Ukraine and say, all right, here's, you know, $70 billion worth of, you know, equipment to help. But what do we do, you know, like, in Africa, there are all sorts of nations that, you know, ha- have been under. What are we doing there? Not, not much. Like we, we, we just have this thing I think against Russia, probably because they have the, you know, atomic, you know, weapons or whatever, and possibly just because we have an old Cold War, you know, relationship with them where they're they're the bad guys. Well, historically, I do think we butt heads. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and if you go listen to them, we're the bad guys. Of course. Who, who has troops, you know, all, all throughout Europe? Not Russia. United States does. Who has troops surrounding, you know, we got troops over surrounding China. They're like, you know, the, the U.S. is exerting itself militarily to, to, you know, essentially take economic control of the world. That's Russia's position, is that that's what the U.S. is doing. To the, we're the the big bad guys who are saying, you know, join us or, you know, join us or we will, you know, economically wipe your country off, which we can't really do to Russia because Russia has all the oil it needs, all the food it needs, That's all the metal it needs. So, you know, economically we tried to squash, you know, Russia and we just can't do it because they don't, they don't need our stuff. People need their stuff. Yeah. They have 5% of the world's oil, you know, India, China, that they well, need that stuff. They're going to trade. One of the reasons Ukraine has been, and in my research I found out, so willing to acquiesce to Russia is because Russia has the pipeline yeah. of oil into Ukraine, and they have shut it off before to get the Ukrainian government to side with them on certain things. And, and what is so interesting to me, and this blows my mind, is you look at all the, the war crimes and the atrocities that are happening in this war, Ukraine is still taking Russian gas. Yeah. And they're still like, here's some money. You know, we hate your guts, but here's some money. Oh, yeah. Because that was they one have of the to. the very first things that was established is that they weren't going to cut off Russian gas. And none of your Which blows did. my mind, because if none you are Russia... Did. And you are, well, cause it's a you're ready to go, you know, nuclear, you know, warhead. Why do country. you not cut off their gas? Like, what are they giving you? Money? What do you need money for? The, you know, the world has cut you off from all supplies. What do you need oh, money weird. for? But, but even the other countries who are against them. I mean, one of the things that keeps, you know, places like Poland in check, and I mean, NATO said... You know, Poland, do not send over airplanes because if you send over airplanes, it might drag us into the war. 
And then a few weeks later, they're like, well, you can send airplanes. See, and those are the things where I start getting, like, everything starts feeling a little fishy to me. Is like the U.S. is like, well, we're not going to put troops there because that might start World War III. Okay, how does troops matter more than, like, $76 billion worth of, you know, military equipment that can kill Russians from 1,000 miles away? Like, if if Russians are dying from, you know, U.S.-built rockets, but it's you know it was fired by a Ukrainian you know trigger you know finger. Why is that different than if it was fired from well an American? I thought about this because we've had this discussion before, and I think that it's probably because of the unfair sizing of some of these countries and the capabilities that they have. So it would not be fair if you said, "Okay, if you're in a war, you are responsible for 100 percent," because all the tiny countries would get clobbered. It, yeah and so in a way it it's like okay well i see that because i've seen it on this other side i don't want you coming into this tiny country and just clobbering it right but so here's what i, I like if, if the u.s is like we don't want russia coming into ukraine and just taking over ukraine why are we not willing to put troops on the ground i i i know what you're saying but I also think... I know, like, everybody knows what I'm saying. Yeah. Nobody has ever given anything that sounds like a satisfactory answer because nobody has one. Yeah. The answer is, I don't know why. Because what's blowing my mind is, I think we either do not have the power to stop Russia or we won't use the power to stop Russia. We have it, and we're just like, we will give you some, you know, enough troops so that Russia doesn't, you know, wipe you off the face of the earth, but not enough that you could win. Well, if you, you think know, about it. And that it. seems really odd to me. Like, why would we do that? So. And there is an answer to that. And the answer is, we don't care about Ukrainians. We care about hurting Russia. We are happy that Ukrainians, I mean, we're not happy that they're dying. We're no. willing to let them die if it bleeds Russia. And, and, and I had, like, strategically, that might be a good choice. But it's hard to swallow. Yes. Well, what do you think about the joining of NATO? Since they were putting in for their process to join NATO, and they, um, after the Crimea situation, which happened fairly quickly, but after the Crimea situation, and then you got uh, them saying, oh, yeah, we're going to start doing the stuff we need to, and then Vladimir Zelensky gets in, and it's even more like they're going to get in there, and they're headed to there. They're almost in. And then Russia invades. Because I do think Russia also knew you can't put NATO in a country that is in an active war with Russia or you pull in everybody. Well, he was playing a bit of chicken there. But I think that it was, I think he won that game of chicken. Where he's saying, I don't think they want to come into a gigantic war. If I start a war, they're not going to yeah. let that happen. And if he can keep the war going, they will not join NATO. So well, this NATO also doesn't want, could be NATO won't let somebody in who's in a in, war in a war because you but know that essentially might be why that they would don't just turn be off the oil and the gas is because they're like this is actually a long game where I'm saying see and I, we're going to keep in conflict so that they cannot but the conflict doesn't end. You turn off the oil, the conflict doesn't Russia end. Russia wins, conflict's over. Right, but if Russia wins and Russia takes Ukraine, Ukraine will not join NATO. I am 100% certain <laughs> that if Russia takes Ukraine, Ukraine will not join NATO. You know, you've got a point there. However, you will, I mean, t- 
take. I don't know. But that was their goal. I don't know. I don't know. I, I know. It doesn't make sense. Uh-uh. Doesn't, it doesn't it bother you? Like, there's a lot of things that do not make a lot of sense. And one of them that doesn't make a lot of sense is the U.S. blows up the Nord Stream pipeline, which isn't 100%. The United States official position is, oh, no, we absolutely did not right. do that. Uh, but there's been multiple uh, you know, news stories, journalists who have come out and said, yeah, I got sources, said, you know, yeah. here's how it happened. And if, you know, if you are, say, Germany, and you're getting your gas from Russia, yep. your natural gas, somebody blows that up, then offers to sell you natural gas, if you stay in their alliance, essentially, you lose your source of natural yeah. gas, somebody comes in and says, I will sell you, you know, some. Isn't that a little fishy? Because... We, Germany, is, there's two Nord Stream pipelines, one and two. Nord Stream 1, Nord Stream 2 is 100% owned by Russia. United States, several times, Biden, many other officials say, we will not let you complete the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. You know, we, will, we have means, is what they said. Now, it blows up, and they're like, oh, we didn't do it. And they're like, you said you were going to do it. I don't know, we didn't do it. <laughs> But, well, same with that one guy who's like, we have no reason at all to, yeah. nobody's talked to me about invading, it's not going to happen. But like if you're Germany, they blow up the Nord Stream 1, which is partially owned by Germans, you lose, I think they said they've lost 25% of their industrial production because the, the natural gas uh, started becoming so expensive, factories start you know wow. like we can't produce we're not gonna you know make stuff anymore and a lot of that production has gone to the united states but what really it's hard to say that's the there are sources that say that they said germany lost 25 percent of it and you have far closer you know petroleum are, and natural gas suppliers than america well if, How do you if even you, get that over there? The tankers, liquid natural gas, LNG tankers, go from the U.S. over to Germany. And we've been selling them natural gas since the Nord Stream pipeline blew up. That seems like it's an inefficient way to get your natural gas. <laughs> it is, but where else are you going to get it? You've got the Middle East. They've got... Petroleum and natural gas up the wazoo. They're closer, but I suppose they have to go through other ways. Yeah. All, I don't know. But, it, like, there's some weird stuff, and part of me is like, okay, so if you're Germany and that happens, what what should your response be? And what's weird is I saw, and I think it was actually Belgium, I, I was watching this, uh, it was in their Congress, somebody got a newly elected person stands up in Congress and he says, let's talk about the Nord Stream pipeline. And everybody starts trying to hush him and yell. And he's like, why are we not allowed to talk about this? You know, like why? And I really think there is, you know, like there are people. Maybe it was something they gave up. Maybe it was Germany said, okay, we'll blow up the Nord Stream pipeline. It, and it could be because there are. this discount on this so that we can, and maybe there's a whole thing about it. 
there definitely could be. Let's hope so, because I'd like to think that it was more positive than negative. Because <laughs> I, I don't like to think of being in a in a bad guy situation. Well, nobody does. No, but the problem that's is why everybody lies. None of the Russians think that they're the bad guys I, either. I and I do have to say they think they're being they, bullied. But but like you go look at like the Cuban Missile Crisis sort yep. of thing, because that's what I think with NATO. To me. Anybody who wants to join NATO, I don't have, you know, it's a, it's a free country, you know, like it, <laughs> it's a gigantic, you're allowed to, kind of to do that. You know, nobody else should be able to dictate whether you get in aside from the members of NATO. Right. But if you're Russia and you're saying, you know, similar to, you know, Cuba, like, why are you putting missiles over here in Cuba? Like, Cuba yeah. can be like, hey, we're our own country. We can have Russian missiles if we want. And the United States said, I don't think so. That's true. You don't get to put you know, missiles there and we'll send our whole Navy and block you off. Yeah. And, and that's so what I worry though, is too. that this is a similar thing. But there were no missiles. And that's another, they're just afraid of missiles. They are. And here's a quote from Prigozhin. Uh-huh. You know, Putin says, oh, we want to denazify and demilitarize. Before we invaded, Ukraine had 500 troops or 500 tanks. They got 5,000 now. Yeah. They had 20,000 troops. They got 400,000 now. If your goal was demilitarization, you are failing miserably. Did he say that? Uh, yeah, Prigozhin. This is after his, you know, this was something he said after he went to Belarus. Oh, so recently. So recently. And he was saying, like. I, that that sides more against my tin hat theory. <laughs> I, I honestly think he's just got incredibly mad at you know like he wanted he wanted to be the one in control he doesn't want you know his troops under the ministry of defense and he wants to be able to get whatever he wants whenever he wants and he wasn't getting it so he threw a tantrum True. and realized the people that i'm throwing a tantrum against have way more power than i do and so well he did get that invitation from the belarusian president really fast he did and then he was so happy. You should have seen him at that press conference, Tipper. He was like, "Oh, I believe it." <laughs> he just felt like he was the smartest guy in the world. I talked him. I talked him right. out of it. I it was, saved. It was almost. Adorable. I saved Russia. I he saved. Made him eight years old. But lots of and I oh there's. Whenever we start learning about something, I do realize that things are. Far more complex yes. than the simplicity. And one of the reasons I try to find the beginning of something and the reason why, and I always focus on the beginning, is because I usually start it in the middle and just go from there. And I and, and then I'm just like, oh, yeah, they don't like each other. Let's, let's see what happened from there. But I want to know why they don't like each other. And so you learn that there's complexity. It's not hard to understand why Ukraine doesn't like Russia right now. That is very <laughs> easy right to now. understand. But if you think about how loyal they were to each other for so long, it was weird that it all of a sudden shifted. But it was because the people wanted to be part of the EU. Well, it's because Ukraine, we're going to go our own way. And Russia says, no, you're not. No, you're not. And that that gets back to the whole thing, you know, the Mm -hmm. secession sort of thing. If you say, I want to, you know, I want to be in control of my own, you know, country. And somebody says, no, you don't get to. Mm -hmm. You can see why... The dangers in that, yeah. you know, the Russia going into Ukraine is the danger. You know, like that is what people like me who are like, yeah, you should be able to secede. 
it's so that the Ukrainians don't have to live under Russian thumbs. Yeah. And and that, that you know potentially translates into well then maybe Crimeans don't have to live under Ukrainian thumbs. You don't know you know what the right answer is, but you can definitely see that there's danger in just saying somebody saying no you don't get to decide. I'll decide. Yeah. I and oh see it's interesting too cuz when I look at it as a parent and yeah. I'm like, no, no, I get to say because you're not in a position to say. Yep. And, <laughs> and, and, and but then, but then, you know, you take into account the Soviet Union and how they lived that particular way, and we have no concept of that. We have our United States, but we are one country in our United States, and there they were united as different countries, and so we can't. We don't even. We don't even know how to wrap our head around it. And, and, and I don't think that we really understand, you know, like their culture, you know, yeah. like there's just a ton of stuff that would be hard to comprehend. But. Yeah. Oh, and lots of things. Yeah. Always lots of things. But I, 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 I love learning about it and knowing more about it, even if I know that you always have to take a little grain of salt with everything that you read. In and this see. one particular, because it's just everything's so fresh and you know, you know, let you know the stuff that Putin says, Prigozhin says. You, you can't really trust those sort of things. Yes, you know, because they are not. Too they, soon. Their intentions are not to tell <laughs> you the truth. Their intentions, they they want a result, and that's what when they say stuff, it's to move them closer well, to their results. One want. thing we found is we have been going through, and they have released documents, is that things that people thought were conspiracy theories ended up being real. Yeah, and so. And right now, we're not sure the difference between what's real and what's a conspiracy theory at this yeah, point. Yeah, is this like a fake moon landing yes. sort of thing? You know, like we don't know what level of truth we're getting mm-hmm. on any of this. But, it, you know, the one thing that I feel like fairly certain is, you know, Russia seems to be, you know, the aggressor, you know, in the wrong. And that, you know, the Ukraine is doing their best, you know, to avoid essentially just being taken over yeah what the rest of the world's position you know like part of me wants to know the biggest question that i always have is what was the u.s involvement in 2014 of changing the government did we do that if we orchestrated that i think we're in the wrong you know like we shouldn't be doing that we shouldn't be going in and saying you know we're going to put the government we like in place. Like if somebody did that to us or even attempted to do that to us, we would be very mad and it would be in the news for like 12 years and they would, you know, there'd be all sorts of conspiracy theories about it and whatever. And I think if we're doing that, which the U S has a history of doing stuff like that, that we are probably in the wrong. But don't forget in that one particular time, and I'm doing this to hopefully save my country's face that, the vote yes. was dramatically to join the EU at the time. And the, it that, wasn't even a close vote. It, it was It wasn't even close. But mm-hmm. So that would be a little harder to do. You don't know do, what level of corruption. That's true. So <laughs> Here's I'm about, five bucks. <laughs> I don't know if you had anything else to bring up. I had like I don't, I'm done. one stupid little thing, oh, you good. know, to take a jab or whatever. But uh, we, 2014, uh, the government changes immediately 
uh, Hunter Biden ends up on the Burisma oh, thing and starts right making five hundred two thousand fourteen. So, God, <laughs> corruption and your uh, gangster, you know, because that's Obama's time. Yeah, we're in, we're and we have Biden as vice president. Biden as vice president. Oh, uh, Hunter Biden in two thousand fourteen gets on the board of directors for uh, a gas company called. Charisma makes half a million a year doing nothing, and then you know I am really good at doing nothing. I don't make I know. any money out of. I do it just for sport. I was gonna say I I'd have done nothing. <laughs> you give me ten thousand a month, I'll do nothing for you. I'll do it. For I, I'm pretty sure that there were might have been more than nothing that was on the table, but wow, ugh, what that that Hunter Biden? He's a messed up man. It, he is. Very messed up, yep. and the uh, yeah. That's a whole can of worms. I don't want to go down at all. As I say, we're we're way past, and, and and realistically, that has nothing to do. It's just one of those weird things that when you're all right, what did the U.S. have to do with the 2014 thing? And you start seeing some of these things tie together. Like, why did we have senators there? Why did immediately after you know the government change that we get people in their biggest company? that have ties to our government. Good grief. Good grief. Good grief. It's so interconnected. There's such a... I, I keep thinking in my head, oh, what a web is... Like, we weave. But it's more like, oh, what a web is woven. <laughs> <laughs> and everything interacts and everything overlaps and everything. It's so tangled and yeah. so messy. And, and you, you can see things that, you know, patterns that don't really exist. Oh, and, for sure you know, I Like, did. all that stuff. <laughs> it... It is crazy. But, uh, uh, did you have anything else? No, or? I'm. I've said it all. All right, let's wrap this thing up. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks for everybody. Joining us. Bye. Bye.